Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. Join us this Sunday at one of our four campuses. Call times are at 9 and 11 a.m. at our Somerville and Remount campuses, 10 a.m. at our North Charleston campus, and 11 a.m. at our Monk's Corner campus. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit faithishere.org. All right. Good morning, Faith. Good to see everybody here today. Your smiling face. All right. I'm so looking forward to just preaching God's Word this morning. I would like to say really quick, um, Pastor and Jeannie, thanks so much for the opportunity to uh, really stand in this pulpit. What an honor it is. And to serve with you guys. Uh, we've been th- I've said this uh, uh, at the reception. We've been through a lot together. And um, it's amazing, the people that God brings in your life. I could say for my family and I, that when Rachel and I got married, I would never have believed that God would lead us to a place and have the opportunities that we have had right here at Faith Assembly. And so we would like to thank this body for just loving and encouraging us. We, we have some incredible friends. And honestly, I could say this has really become home. Uh, it is a place that we will always call home. And um, I also wanted to say thank you, Pastor, as you've given us this opportunity to preach the Word, to, to really serve people, and to kind of give us a, a rope in ministry to let us go. Uh, you never was a micromanager. He was always like, yes, let's win the kingdom however we can, however we will. Let's do it. And you've always given us that freedom to do so. And so just thank you from the bottom of my heart, really, for the opportunity that you've given me. I appreciate it. Could you give Pastor a great hand this morning? All right, enough of that sappy stuff. I I also thought about um, what I could give you, Pastor, as a gift and and some of the things that went through my mind. And I was digging through my office this week, and I think I found about 72 yellow notepads that you write your sermon on. So I'm going to gift that to you. And... (laughs) tear out all the, and I think I have in the car a coupon book that has your name on it um, that I can give because I know that you will use that, so that's one of the things I thought I would give. But listen, let's pray, and let's ask the Lord to help us today, man, as we minister in word. God, we are so thankful today for your love and your goodness. God, we're thankful that your, your love changes so much. I thank you that you come to this place and we all are here to listen to your word, be challenged. But Lord, today, I pray that you would awaken us to the things that may be in our life that they do not need to be there. But Lord, help us to give that to you. Lord, we are so grateful for what you've given us in life that we do not take for granted everything that you have given us. And so Lord, we pray today that you would help us to see you high and lifted up. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the word today, we're going to be in Romans. As you know, we've been on this Romans. This is a part three or four of the series, and we've started out uh, just going through the book of Romans. And when we look at the book of Romans, I want you to just to recognize something that we, we may just pass through time and time again. But as Paul wrote this letter, get this, 1,958 years ago, Paul was writing this letter. And it's amazing to me that so long ago when he wrote this letter, that even today, that letter when it goes forth, it means something to us today. 
It still gives life today. It still shows us where we're at. Here's one thing that we've learned about Romans so far, that everybody sins. They're sinners. And we are in need of God in our life. And he comes and he gives us help. And so when, when the book of Romans was written, I want to remind you that there were no emails for those young people here today. There were no faxes. There was no pagers, Facebook, all those things. There was none of that. Can you imagine a world without all that? You probably can't. But it was there, right? And we remember that, some of us in this room. And so when you think about the power of a personal letter, Paul pins a letter. Think about that. He pins a letter to you and I. It's like he sat down, pinned a letter for us today, 1,958 years later. This letter's for you this morning. And when I think about a personal letter like that, you remember, ever remember getting letters in the mail uh, from a significant other when you were younger and they sprayed perfume on it or cologne on it? Everybody get those letters? And, I mean, you still do that today, right? Just, you want to really mess somebody up, spray cologne or perfume on the letter you send next. Just send it out. But what does it do? It, it speaks about, it's more than a text, it's more than a, it's a personal letter to somebody. And that's what Paul does, he sends this personal letter. In Romans he begins to say this, as we kind of recap. In Romans he begins to talk about, uh, he is eager to preach the gospel in Rome. Why? Because Rome is a wicked place, it's a godless place. And he really says, and he starts out in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Because it is the power of salvation for man, Right? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That is a message for us today. I hope you are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He goes on in Romans chapter 2 and he begins to to say this. Listen, everyone is sinful. It's the Jew and the Gentile. Speaking to more Gentiles in that day and age. But everybody is sinful. And so he points that out. And then he gets to the end of Romans 3 and he comes to this chilling conclusion. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then all of a sudden he begins to do this. It's it's this beautiful exchange that begins to take place. In Romans chapter 4 he points out Abraham. And he says this about Abraham. He says, you know what? Abraham believed God. Powerful words. He believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Thank you God that he looks at me and when he looks at you... He looks at you and he credits you for righteousness when you accept him into your life. That's what he does. He's a righteous God. He begins to give that. And we understand that this becomes now a faith-based relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful exchange. We realize that we come before Christ justified, just as you are. You come before him. There is nothing earned. It is a free gift that's given to you. I love free gifts, but especially that one. Then Romans 5, he says this, and I think he paints this beautiful picture, and he says these words, he said this, but God, he demonstrated, he demonstrated his love towards us in that, while we were yet a sinner, while we were living in filth, in sin, and doing all these disgusting things, you know what he says? I died for you. Because he died for you, he loves you. And then Romans 6, this is where we're going to pick up today. He goes in and he says, now that Paul's identified sin, now he wants to create contrast. Now he wants to say, listen, you are in sin, but guess what? You can have a new life. And it's called, what we're going to call it is creating contrast, but he is going to do this. He's going to show us how to live a life that is in Christ. Not just about him, but in Christ. 
You can know a whole lot about the Bible, you can know a whole lot about Christ, but if you are not in Christ, that is a big difference. And we're going to be in Christ this morning. So let me pick up and let's read Romans chapter 6. Could you stand with me real quick as we read this? Uh, We're dealing with the whole chapter, but I'm going to take the very first half of the chapter, and this is what it says, Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. You see, if we have been united with him like this in death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he can't die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you, so that, and do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness, for sin shall not be mastered, because you are not under the law, but under grace. You may be seated this morning. So what we're going to be doing this morning is this, creating contrast. But first let me define what it is to create contrast. Contrast is simply the difference between two objects, people, or places. Contrast does this. It begins to capture our attention and forces our eyes to focus on the important elements of a design. Think about it. When you take a picture, and all of a sudden when you take a picture of that significant other in front of you, and behind them is a blur. Now most of the time, when I take a picture, I'm taking a picture of someone, and the person I intend to get is all blurry, right? And what you don't want to get is all clear. It just happens that way. But the difference is the contrast between the blurry and the clear object. It forces our eyes to focus on those important things in life. That's what creating contrast, that's what Paul is saying. Listen, I don't want you to concentrate on what it is to live in sin. I want you to concentrate on what it means to live in Christ. That's what he's saying. There's a great description, a great imagery in a picture, and it is the lotus flower. I don't know if you've ever seen a lotus flower, but a lotus flower will grow in a, in a deep, murky, dark water hole like a pond, a river, but you can see that it's nasty and it's gross. But what happens with the lotus flower is the lotus flower begins to grow in the depths of the water, attaches itself to the bottom, and in a three days' time, it begins to grow up and emerge and begin to bloom on the third day. Now, isn't that interesting? And it blooms into this gorgeous white or blue and different colors flower. It is a brilliant color. But then the question comes and says this, how can something so brilliant live in a deep murky water for three days and come out bright? It is the same way that we can live a life of sin and be covered by the blood of Jesus and come out as white as snow. 
That is what is happening. And the lotus flower begins to show us and picture what is going on. Now here's what we're going to also throw in, is we're going to throw in this word sanctification. It's creating contrast, but it's also sanctification. That, what is sanctification? We are set apart. It is a state of proper functioning. We are set apart for an intended use by its designer. In other words, a pen is sanctified when it is being used by its designer. Eyeglasses are sanctified because you have them on this morning because you're using them for its intended purpose. It is sanctified. You see, when God looks at our life, we begin to grow in sanctification when the designer looks at our life and says, I have an intended purpose and use for you. Are you living that? And when we begin to grow in Christ, we begin to become sanctified and growing in Him, right? That's what it is to be sanctified. Now here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you two points this morning, very quick. And we're going to understand and learn how to grow. And and, and understand this, is creating contrast requires some things in our life. And number one, it requires this, is that we must be dead to sin. We must die to sin. In the same way, it says, count yourselves dead to sin. To understand Romans 6, you have to realize that the Apostle Paul is driving home this truth. You no longer have the same relationship to sin that you once had. It's different. Something has changed, right? What has happened is so often that we have tried to get somebody saved without helping them realize that first they are lost. And that they are lost, really, and lived a life in Adam instead of living life in Christ. Salvation is not necessarily getting us into heaven as much as it is getting heaven into us. There's a big difference there. And so we need to make sure that we're growing in sanctification. Because you see this? Whatever comes inside of us begins to change the outside of us. So if I remain in sin, guess what? Your behavior is not going to change. But if you become to do, if you do this, if you are in Christ, the fruit of your life begins to change. It happens on the outside. Amen? I remember late at night, my wife and I were sleeping, and uh, I, I remember this is the worst fear of any parent in, in, at night that you will ever hear. We hear a shrill coming from the other room of my oldest daughter, Callie, and she's like, help, help. Now, here's the amazing thing about help, help. Typically, I have trained my kids that when they have trouble at night that they go to their mother's side. Mom, help me. They walk right past me and go around the bed into her. Moms, you just have a special touch, right? You just know. They go, Mom, help me. But this one was, her voice was such that we knew that this was an emergency. So, I mean, I tore out of bed. I mean, I was in there, the other room, and she was in the bathroom, of all places. I said, sis, what, what is going on? What, are you okay? And she's just, you can tell she's sweating, she's red. And then she says these words. She says, I can't see. And my heart, my heart sinks. I mean, it drops. And I'm like, what do you mean you can't see? Because in, in that moment, I mean, the funny things that go through your head, I, I feel like I was on the Little House on the Prairie episode where Mary goes blind. <laughs> and, and I'm just, oh, Jesus, help me. I said, Gee, you know, and you're like, what am I going to do? How am I going to get through this? 
And so she begins to explain. We're saying, sis, what, what is wrong? What have you done? Are you, what are your symptoms? She said, I'm hot. I'm sweaty. I, I don't know what is going on. And I said, you, you can't see like it's just black? Yeah, I, I can't see. And so then, I mean, we begin to pray for her. And my other daughter in her room, she hears something. And she says, well, I hear you and mom speaking in tongues and praying and all that. And she says, I, they're good. They'll maybe fine. Uh, <laughs> She, she says, I believe in prayer. No problem. I'm not going to come in. And so we're praying and praying and praying. So we begin to question her and question her. And finally, I get it out of her. I said, what do you have your electric blanket set on? Well, seven or eight. I'm like, that, because all of a sudden, as we begin to pray for her, and we begin, her sight begins to come back and all that, she had almost had a heat stroke because he had her electric blanket on seven or eight and I'm worried about Mary on Little House in the Prairie and how we're how we're gonna get through this and I said get in that room and turn that thing to two unplug it every day and I don't want to see it higher than than two ever you made your mom and I about have a cornea but we did get close to Jesus and speak in tongues that night for a while amen (laughs) because we know this, Jesus changes everything. And he did. And we're so grateful. But here's what I'm saying. What happens on the inside, right, comes out on the outside. If you change your heart, if you change and realize that you need to walk away from sin into Christ, things will change and things will be better. Verse 6 says this, For we know that our old self was crucified with him. The old self. When you begin to study the old self, what that really means is, I love it, it means worn out. It is an old man that is worn out. I love that description because don't you feel sometimes you're worn out? But it's the old self that you're trying to get rid of. Who is that old self? It's everything that I was in Adam, right? Because Adam is the representation of the first sin, that sin came into the world. And so when I say that, Adam, that's what that means. And if you continue to go on, it says this. Paul goes on to say in verse 6, so that your body of sin might be done away with. And he says some things here that doesn't maybe make sense. But as we begin to kind of dig through the scriptures, what is done away with, it really means this, to be rendered powerless. So he is saying so that our body of sin might be rendered powerless. When we give our life to him, guess what? The sin of your life can be rendered powerless. But here's what happens, because we think uh, that is not so, and we want to continue to live in sin, what we, that's what happens. We don't see the power of God's word to say, you know what, I can live where my sin is being set aside and it is rendered powerless, where it does have any effect on my life. Now, how many knows this? We all sin, yes. But what we're talking about is that sin where I have decided to change my whole way, and I am turning 180 degrees and I'm walking towards Christ in a relationship with him every day my flesh inside of my body beats me to death it says come on do this it says do that the flesh is pulling at us and the only way that you can let flesh have its way is when you make a choice to let it and you choose to let sin have its way in your life You see, if you're going to die to sin, you need to do just a couple things. Number one is that you need to do not let sin reign in your mortal body. That's what the scripture says in verse 12. Don't let it reign in your mortal body. What does that mean? Stop allowing the sinful nature to reign as king in your life. 
The sinful nature is a dethroned monarch in your life. And the believer has the responsibility from keeping it to, from mounting in your life, from so taking control and be the throne in your life. You've got to dethrone it in your life. And God gives you the power to do that. So sin, what does sin do in your life? If you don't allow it and get rid of it to reign in your mortal body, if you don't set it aside, here's what happens. If sin remains, it remains a plotter planning your overthrow. It remains an enemy warring against the law of your mind. It remains as a tyrant worrying and oppressing your true life and what you can be. And if I wanted to sum it all up, I would say this, kill sin or sin will kill you. Allow the power of God's word as you look at it to say, you know what, I'm going to believe his word and I'm going to die to sin. And he graphically depicts what that means when he begins to say, listen, I'm going to show you what that means. Through baptism, what happens? We die to sin, we are buried just like Christ was buried, and then we rise again anew, right, to give us new life. Baptism is a very powerful thing when you realize the power and the significance of what it means that when we obey Christ and we're baptized, it is a graphic depiction of what He has already done in your life. I remember even uh, going to small groups here years ago. I think this, the small group leader is here this morning. He's visiting. Uh, I remember going to houses and I remember getting this call. Hey, can you baptize some people tonight at my house? And I'm like, well, I know he doesn't have a baptism pool, but I'm like, well... Do you have a pool? Well, it's, we really can't get in. It was cold. I think it was around October. I said, he says, but I do have a hot tub. I said, that'll work. All we need is water. And we baptized four or five people right at a small group at a house because of a life change. Isn't that exciting? Open your house, your pool, your hot tub. Get them baptized. Right? Because lives are being changed. Now, what does the scripture say? The life of transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of air by which we gratified the cravings of our sinful nature and followed its desires and thoughts. That life died with Christ. Galatians says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And this life I live in the body, I live for him. That's what, that's what Galatians says. I have been crucified with Christ. I have dined to sin. Now, that, this is, Paul says this. This is what you were. This is what happens. In 1 Corinthians, I love this, is what he says. He says, you know what? When you die to sin, that means this. That you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you look back at your sin, and many of you, you have incredible stories of God delivering you from something, you can say this, man, I have been washed, I have been sanctified, and I have been justified because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Isn't that exciting? That's what we have to stand upon today. We are washed. If you're going to die to sin, you need to do this. Do not offer parts of your body to sin. The body is dying, and don't you know that about every day? As the hair turns gray, and things are wrinkling up, and some of us have the Dunlap disease where your belly has Dunlapped over your jeans. But the flesh is entrenched in the body that we live in every day in our lives. 
the body is trying to have power over us, but the word of God says it doesn't have any power over us. Listen to me. It does not have power over you. Some Christians say, say this, well, it does over me. It just, I just can't help myself. It just has power. I've been trying to quit smoking. Uh, I, I, can't, I just can't quit smoking. But the word of God says, oh, yes, you can. Let me just put it maybe in terms that you'll understand. I've been trying to quit gossiping for years. I just can't quit gossiping. Oh, yes, you can. The Word of God says you can quit gossiping. Whatever sinful thing, I would not want to be a swindler. That's what the Scripture talks about. He says, the life we lived as sexual immoral, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexual offenders, thieves, greedy, drunkards, slanders, and swindlers. That's the life I set aside. I'm in Christ. I want a brand new life in Him, right? My daughter, my youngest daughter, Cammie's a freshman in high school, and she's always coming home, and, she's saying, and I feel like she is a counselor at school with these girls that she hangs out with, and they're having relationship problems, and she says, Dad, I just begin to pour into them and help them. And she gets this from her mom because Rachel's really good at all of this helping, you know, here's some good advice and here's some stuff like that. And, uh, and she says, you know what, one girl just told me this real sad story one time about a relationship that she's in. And, and, and so I told her, Dad, I said, you know what, you need just to go home, get in, a, in front of a mirror, and tell me the same story you just told me. I'm like, that's some pretty good advice. Because it was a sad story. It was a story that was like, it didn't end well, but if you'll listen to your story sometimes, tell yourself your own story, maybe you'll change the ways that you do stuff sometimes. And so Paul gives this great advice. He says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't offer parts of your body to sin. Don't do it. Let it go. Don't do it anymore. And that is great advice. There's a great illustration that in 1982, an unusual thing happened in Guam, on the island of Guam. A soldier, after 37 years, after World War II, he walks out of the jungle. When he walks out of the jungle, he is surprised that Japan has surrendered. For 37 years, he has been in the jungle, living there, thinking war is still happening. He is trapped. He's in bondage. For 37 years, he lives that way. Let me ask you a quick question. During those 37 years, being in the jungle, a prisoner of the jungle, free but not really knowing it, was he really free? The war was over, and it's not like MacArthur was going to go in and say, hey man, the war's over, come on out, we've got some things happening here. He could have come out in 1950, 1969, 1970, 1975, but because he didn't believe it, because he didn't reckon the fact of his freedom to be true, he lived in self-imposed bondage for 37 years. Was he free? Yes. Was he free? Not really. Because he chose to stay in the bondage in hiding and in fear of the jungle. You see, many Christians are still living in the jungle of sin. The war is over. Christ has won. But they refuse to believe it. They live in the self-imposed bondage to sin. They are still in the jungle spiritually because they refuse to believe that Christ has set them free. 
how foolish it appears from the perspective of people who have never known slavery. slavery. Get this, yet Christians, I would say a lot of them choose slavery over freedom every day. I want to remind you of something. When we go back to Romans chapter 4, that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Let me just remind you today that you are the righteousness of God. There's nothing that you have done to earn that. He just looks at you because you've said, God, forgive me of my sin, that you are the righteousness of God. And you know what? Some days, in their days that you think that, man, you go to work and you're so on fire For God, that you have faith boiling through your veins and you're like, man, I can do this. I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to do great things at my work today. I mean, you're you're sitting there and you're wanting to part the the water fountain like Moses did, but you're just parting the water fountain. I mean, you're going into work and you're saying, you know what? Man, let these people go on break for five minutes. And then all of a sudden you begin to trip up and you do things that you're not supposed to do. And all of a sudden you get, and you, let's say, sin slips into your life and you beat yourself up over it. And then you get down and you think that you're going to have to go to church now for four weeks in a row. And after going to church for four weeks in a row, everything's going to be, be great. That's called earning your salvation. But God gives us a clear path to die to sin, Right? Die to sin. And you don't have to wait to be in a relationship with God three more days. Listen, you need to repent and say, I'm the righteousness of God. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to do everything that I can to please you, God. And start living for God. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Live for Him. Creating contrast in my life requires this. I must do this. I must be alive in Christ. Now that we understand that we are dead to sin, now we are going to turn our hearts and be alive in Christ. But when we do that, this is really where we begin to create the contrast from, okay, this is sin, but this is how we're going to have to live. When we understand how we're going to have to live, you have to change your behavior accordingly. This is where the change takes place. This is where, now this is your responsibility. Paul expresses this command in the most basic terms. He says this, Your mind controls your body, so take command and make your body operate in agreement with what you've already accepted as true. In other words, you're going to have to think differently. You're going to have to think that you are alive in Christ and that you're dead to sin. Sometimes what happens is we feel stuck. We feel like life is always going to be a certain way. And we come... We become bound to certain ways of thinking and processes and emotional habits and we get stuck in this idea that I'm always going to be depressed or it's always going to be like this relationally or, or I'm just stuck in this area. And you know what? That does not have to be that way. The gospel is about change and transformation. And let me just add this. The only thing that really changes us is the blood of Jesus Christ. Think about it. I, I love worship services. That was great this morning. I love Bible studies. I love the, the church. But what changes me is the blood of Jesus. It comes in and, and it removes the sin, right? And it cleanses me. It washes me. So the Word of God, it helps to change our hearts and our minds and then the outflow of our life. And if you, wanna, if you want your life to change, 
Change your mindsets. Begin to live according to God's word. That's what's going to change. Romans 12 says it like this. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It is your mind. You have the capacity through the word to create contrast. And that's our responsibility as believers. You say, well, what's some scripture? Let me give you some scripture. I'm going to do it real quick. 1 Corinthians 2, 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We can have his mind. Philippians says, let this mind be in you. In the New American Standard Bible, let this mind be in, 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 in you. In other words, it is not a forced thing. It's, Lord, Lord, I want your mind through your word to help change my life. Colossians says this, set your mind on Christ. So I have the ability to set my mind on those things. And how does the word help me become alive in Christ? Well, a couple things. Number one, the word reveals to us what needs to be transformed and changed in our life. The word of God is like a mirror and when we look at it in our life, when we, we, we look at our life to the, to the Word, it should show us things that need to change. It reveals things to us. This morning when you got up and you went to the mirror and you said, man, some things have got to change this morning. Now, let me do something real quick. Let me compare and contrast how a female approaches a mirror and how a male approaches a mirror. Because I think it's going to teach us something about how we approach the Word of God. Some ladies, not all, listen to me completely before you judge me. When you approach a mirror, sometimes you get to the mirror and you get even closer to the mirror. You lean in and you begin to look at the mirror and you say, Oh my goodness, I think I see three more lines of crow's feet. And you look at the mirror and you're, you're worried about the crow's feet and you begin to judge yourself really quickly. Oh my gosh, I think I've gained two pounds in my face. Your hair's not really what it used to be. It's, and you blame it on the hard water from South Carolina. And if you had a water softener, a salt treatment, it would be a lot better. And you make up all these excuses and these things, right? And, and, you, and you just begin to judge. And you ask your husband, does this dress make me look fat? <laughs> you can't answer that question. Really? So, so here's what happens. We approach the word the same way. I'm never going to be spiritual enough. I'm never going to be holy enough. And we become very critical of our lives and we say, you know what? I'm just going to give up. There's no hope. And we're critical about the way that we look at our lives from the Word of God. Now, the Word doesn't reveal to you to bring you under condemnation. Did you know that, right? The Word reveals to you to bring you a hope and a future. That's, what he is in, that's his intention for you. Now, a male, when they approach a mirror, half awake, barely there, you approach it in a way where you probably may be a little smelly. You probably have some hair that's growing in places that you really didn't expect at this age. And you get up there and you look at all that stuff. And you say, that's good enough. <laughs> Am I communicating to you this morning? That's good enough. 
That'll work. And your wife is sitting on the bed, and she's like, oh, if you'll just pay attention a little bit more. The Word is telling us to get in alignment and to fix some things, and we just say this, oh, God's grace will cover that. You see, there is a better way for your future. We approach the Word of Life like we approach a, a mirror sometimes, and here's what we do. We're either too critical or we're too loose. And we have to create a balance of saying, Lord, what do you want to do in my life? Lord, I'm ready to move from being dead to sin to being alive in Christ. God, what do you want for my life? And if you change your thoughts, you change your life, right? The Bible's trying to tell you who you are. That's what it's doing. The Word of God begins to say, listen, you're son or daughter of the King. Did you know that you're the apple of my eye? You are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. This is what I believe about you. And you have got to believe that God is for you and not against you. You are the righteousness of God. He is trying to create what? Contrast. How does the word of God help you become alive in Christ? The last one is this. The word renews our life. Now I'm going to jump ahead to Romans chapter 12, but you have to understand this. Romans 12 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, the word renew there means to renovate. That is a better translation. You renovate your life. You tear out the old and replace it with the new. You're a dead in Christ and you're, you're dead in sin. You are alive in Christ, right? You tear out the old and you replace it with the new. God is wanting to do a work in your life. Many of you probably have renovated your house and it's a mess. When you get into your house and you're renovating, you're tearing out walls and you realize, man, I've got a moisture problem, termites and bugs and snakes and all those things have infested your house. But you have to renovate, tear out the old. The Bible is God's mind. It is taking His mind and placing it in yours. That's what He wants to do. And when you do that, your life changes. It becomes sanctified. It becomes that you're walking now in sanctification, that the designer God has looked at your life, and because you're willing to obey Him, you're walking in sanctification. Your intended use, you have a use today. But here's what happens. Sometimes we do this, is that if we're going through a fearful time, we begin to concentrate on the fear. And we see the fearful parts of life. And we always gravitate towards the negative. And all of a sudden, fear becomes my natural way of thinking. However, here's what happens. I can renovate, I can renew my life, and I can begin to say, you know what, I'm no longer going to live in fear, but I'm going to have the mind of Christ, and now I'm going to have faith. And you start walking in faith and living in faith. And that begins to renew your life. Instead of having an offense with somebody, and you look at your life, and because of all these things people have done in your life to you, you think you begin to carry a weight on your back. And everything you do, you've never been able to let it go. I call pull a frozen. Let it go. Just let it go. 
With the help of the Lord, as you say, Lord, forgive me for holding grudges against this person. Because if you hold all that in, what happens is the layers and layers of all those offenses, guess what? You won't be able to make others first and have the mind of Christ. Christ doesn't want you to carry the offense. He wants you to put others first and serve others. That's having the mind of Christ. The doctors say that you are living in sickness, that you have a, you've been given a diagnosis and you're sick, and it's hopeless. But God knows how to bring life out of a desert. He knows how to bring water out of a rock. He knows how to part a Red Sea. He can heal the lepers. He can do anything that he wants to do. And so sometimes I get stuck in this mindset, I am sick, and I'm never going to be healed. You know what? God has provided for our healing. God is a God who heals. And we've got to make sure that we don't live in this mindset that, oh no, it's sickness. Yes, we may be sick, but guess what? I'm going to look to Christ. I'm going to have the mind of Christ. So you're turning fear to faith, others to serving, and sickness to healing. And you can put anything that you're struggling with there today and say, you know what? I've got to think differently. If you want a different life, think differently. Think according to what God says. And I love in verse 13, it begins to show you, it begins to say when you, you know, put the sin aside, it says this, that you will either be an instrument of sin or you will be an instrument of righteousness. You see the contrast? Which one are you going to focus on? The instrument of sin or the instrument of righteousness? And here's the thing, I, be, I, I read that scripture and I'm like, Am I going to be a flute player for sin? Or clarinet? Or am I going to be a, a harmonica? I, I begin to think, instrument, what? That doesn't even make sense. An instrument of sin. I get the premise, but you know what? When you go back and you look at the Greek, the Greek says this. The, the word for instrument means a weapon of war. That I am a weapon of war for righteousness. Or you are a weapon of war for sin. You choose. God, I want to be a weapon of righteousness for you. I'm going to end today by taking you to Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6. Isaiah 55, 6 begins to share with us some incredible truths about contrasting, that you get a choice. And my prayer today is that you will be, what, dead to sin, alive in Christ, And make a choice to say, God, I want to think like you want me to think. Isaiah 55 says this. And I'm going to read and explain just a few things. It says, I'm going to start in verse 6. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked, the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. I'm not going to think like I'm dead to sin. I'm going to think like I'm alive in Christ. Let him turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. Listen to this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Now get this. He is not saying that you will never have his thoughts. What did he say? Let this mind be in you. He wants you to have his thoughts. Isn't that great? That he wants you to think like him. He wants you to be with him. 
But you have a choice to make. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. Isn't that an awesome picture? God, all he has to do is send his word ahead of you and things begin to change. I can send my word is what he's saying. He can send his word in your life. You can send his word in in situations in your life. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Now this is the part that I like. When you choose to be dead to sin and alive in Christ, here's what happens. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace and the mountains and hills will burst into song before you and the trees of the field will clap their hands. Can you see can you see yourself as you begin to I mean the tr- they just begin to clap. Why? Because you beside, you've decided to live for Christ. You've decided to I'm going to create contrast in my life. I'm going to walk in sanctification. It says you, and so then it says instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree. And instead of briars the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign which will be will not be destroyed. Listen, if I I want a pine tree instead of what? A thorn bush. I, I don't want to grow up in thistles, do you? Or briars. Give me a place where the myrtle will grow. And so here we come to the end of this day today, and you have a choice today. You may be living in sin, and you have allowed the old self, the old worn-out self is what the Bible calls it, to step back into your life. And you know what? You have power. Because the old man, when you give your life to Christ, it has been rendered powerless. You can speak to it and say, Lord, I am your righteousness. God, forgive me. And it's just an act of, Lord, I want to come and ask forgiveness of you. And God will forgive you, and he will see you as righteous. Why? Because his blood is so powerful. It is cleanses, right? It cleanses. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.